You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Welcome to Driving Law with Kyla Lee and Paul Doroshenko, who I've let come back this week. Last week he was on a timeout because uh, he wasn't funny enough the week before. Well, it was complaints from Twitter that yep. said uh, that I'm funny on Twitter, but I wasn't funny on your podcast. And I, you know, I, I concede that I'm sometimes tired at the end of the day when we record this at the end of the day and I'm not up to my, you know, sort of usual zesty self. So I will try and up it a little bit this week. Yeah, you spent a week writing jokes, I hope. No, I didn't. Uh, you know, I'm <laughs> it's still you know, I'm still only using my B material in your uh, in your podcast. Uh, a material is is saved for Twitter. All right. And just to the listeners, I know last week I promised that this would be our big dogs in cars driving and pets episode, but to get right into it, this is an emergency podcast. Wort, 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 wort. Red alert. Well, and the other thing is, uh, you know, don't promise the future, I think, is the uh, is part of that point. Because there's other people we talked about, and it took a long time before Tim was on. And you had alluded to Tim being on uh, at an earlier date. No, I'd alluded to the, the interviews we were doing with the uh, two American lawyers. Okay, but I think you also alluded to Tim being on. But in any event, the point is that you can't predict the future, and sometimes you expect people to be available, and sometimes they're not. But this week, we actually have to make we it, have to talk we have to talk this. about this because it's it's big news. Work, big work, news. work. The government has announced that it's finally selected a device for saliva testing for drugs. So this is a roadside screener. How roadside? I don't know. I mean, it's. Uh, it's not going to be able to be used at the roadside everywhere in Canada at all times because of uh, issues with the functioning of it. But uh, it is a roadside screener, a saliva screener for the presence of certain drugs. Yes, and uh, the government pilot tested a number of devices earlier in the year and last year as well. And none of those devices made the cut. It's interesting. So the device that they've selected is called the Drager, that's the manufacturer, uh, Drug Test 5000. And Drug Test is a registered trademark uh, that uh, the Drager holds. So they've got, a, they've got a good trade name for their device. But that's the one that, uh, that the Canadian government has apparently selected. Without testing it, which, you know, to me, just goes back to what we were discussing a few weeks ago about the, you know, almost a million dollar investment into cannabis impaired driving research after they've already selected a per se limit for THC and after they've already written the legislation and passed it and it's about to come into force and effect in a few months. Yeah, it's very strange that they did it this way because they... um, you know, first of all, they, they, there was no hint that this was going to be the device that they used. They did they tested other devices, but this not, was not one of them that uh, that was publicly announced that they were testing. Uh, but I assume that the you know somebody's been involved with it. There's the alcohol subsection of the toxicology. You know, this is basically toxicologists who work mostly for the RCMP and in Health Canada. Uh, who are involved with approving approved screening devices for alcohol. Yeah, I don't know that those people have any... It had to go through the Alcohol Test Committee, although well, I no, guess maybe now not. the drug... Maybe and, not. No, it did. No. Oh, was it? Yeah, okay. It, um, in order for the minister to approve it, um, it had to be uh, looked at by the Alcohol Test Committee. What does the Alcohol Test Committee know about 
Drugs. Drugs. Yeah. Really? I mean, I think, it, I guess now it's the Drug and Alcohol <clears throat> Testing Committee. Well, I look at their reports that they've prepared over the years, and we've always had those, you know, the, the, basically those those study statement things about what is oh, approved and what yes. isn't. And the they've, slanty, slanty reports. And they've changed their mind and changed yep. their mind, and you're like, well, you yeah. guys, come on, are you just going to deny science or what? Like, Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, science I is, is just what you say science is. That's what happens when you're a legislator. It's moved away. Um, you know, th- there's a published report about the various different uh, as proof screening devices and instruments that they that's published from time to time by the alcohol uh, subcommittee. And the alcohol subcommittee has departed from the science and moved to be more of a um, uh, sort of adopting the police perspective uh uncritically. It's lobby-esque. Yep. Lobby adjacent, yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe. Um, but not what, not what it once was. So it has been, you know, given the blessing uh, by the, what's it when the Pope, like, you know, sprinkles holy water on you or whatever. It's been done that. Anointed by the Pope. <laughs> yes, it's been anointed by the Alcohol Test Committee. Given it um, some purple socks. And, and it, the minister uh. has now given her 30 days notice to approve this under the regulation. So we should talk about the device. So Drager is a company based out of Germany. Well, they're, they're a German company. With a name uh, like Drager, really? Yeah, um, and they've been around a long bloody time. Like the, um, I, I've been in Second World War submarines that had some of their equipment. I know they had equipment going back to uh, like 1900 for uh, detecting gases in mines and things like that. It, they are a huge company that produces um, instruments that detect gases and identify gases. And they, they have uh, distribution centers. They used to have one in Edmonton um, that I remember driving by. They had a, like a Drager distribution center there. They are a gigantic, gigantic company. But wasn't like alcohol testing and drug testing like their hobby? Yeah, it was um, it was something that they started doing because they had the technology to do it, but it wasn't with the intention of making money. So they came up with they're they're they're, they're the people who came up with the whole fuel cell concept. The Germans are the ones who came up with the with the best devices for measuring alcohol and breath. So are you kidding? You're, okay, so you're sitting here on the Driving Law podcast, Paul Doroshenko. Canadian famous impaired driving lawyer saying that fuel cells are the best devices for... No, I wasn't done. Okay. You cut me off. All right. They also came up with the infrared analysis. So that was a German company and ultimately that the patents for that were sold to uh, National Patent National Analytic, Patent. which uh, produced the BAC Data Master and ultimately National Patent Analytic bought sold those patents. I don't think they sold the company to intoximeters. Speaking of the Pope, I'm I'm making a sign of the cross for uh, for the BAC Data Master C, which was a decent... Uh, not a bad uh, breath testing instrument that we don't use anymore, and it's, I'm partially at fault for that because I identified a flaw with it, but the, um, like a decade ago. But um, no, that, that main technology, the technology that we developed in North America was the uh, uh, breathalyzer technology, which was chemical analysis. Basically, your breath goes bubbling through um, some acid, and it changes the color of the acid. And then there's a uh, light receiver that detects the reduction in light in a vial of acid. We don't use that anymore, but that's the old school breathalyzers. If you watched uh, Trailer Park Boys, there was an episode where they brought a breathalyzer into the courtroom. That was one of those old school. Really? Yeah, it was a 900A. Oh my God, I 900A. Find that. Yeah, it's on. It's on there. But. Uh, <laughs> So we were using 
um, awkward chemical analysis in North America for a long time before we started using infrared analysis and now we're using the much less reliable uh, fuel cell analysis uh, that is fuel cells that are produced by intoximeters and the used in the AlcoSensor FST and okay. the old antique fuel cells for an AlcoSensor 4 which are used in the Intox ECIR2. So all of that is fascinating. But, but I want to talk about saliva testing, and that's not a fuel You though. didn't find it fascinating. The, um, well, I already knew. Well, no, the, I know. But the important thing here is that Draeger has been around a long time, and they've produced an instrument that is being used, and it's being used by the police in the States. It's using used by uh, police forces in, uh, I think, Australia and, um, and parts of Europe. And so we are just basically adopting the thing other people have used. We started off looking at creative options, and in the end, the government's just gone, oh, let's just go use those, that. We'll just go use Every, that one. Everybody's ah. jumping off the bridge, so why don't we? Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know that they're jumping off a bridge. I mean, it's probably not a look, bad instrument, no, but let's look at the way it functions. Let, let's right. talk about the flaws. First of all, I, I think something that concerns me is you have to have the thing almost perfectly flat for it to work properly. Really? Yeah. Did oh, I didn't know I that. I watched their training that. video. It can't be on more than a, of mm. a 10% angle. Or it won't work properly. Well, that's fascinating because I half expected police officers to be using it just on their trunk lid or yeah, something like that. Yeah, throw it on the trunk lid, throw yeah. it on the hood of the car. You can't do that. Yep. And you can't move the um, the testing apparatus during its analysis process, which could be up to 10 minutes. Yeah. So the, we'll talk about the process, I guess. They have something they call a cassette which is like a handheld thing that they snap it's the mouthpiece. It's like a cassette. Or if you were born uh, before 1990, you'll remember what a cassette is. I uh, posted a picture of some cassettes I was thinking of listening to the other day in my <laughs> truck when I was driving to work. And now people you can were, use them to people, I posted it on Twitter and people were mocking me. In any event, cassette. Yes. So there's a cassette that holds a mouthpiece, and the mouthpiece is not a mouthpiece that you blow in, it's like a, a plastic tube with some sort of swab on it. And in the videos it looks that like they a show teeny, it. teeny tiny tampon. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, I'm trying to give people a visual. No, I know. It's a like, plastic tube with a tampon on top. Yeah. yeah. But like a tiny little tampon. Like, uh, attached to a little handheld something that looks like a personal pleasure device. <laughs> um, and uh, it's all you, very phallic. You put this thing in. Yeah, well, maybe. Hmm. It's the Germans. Huh. <laughs> They've, they've repressed. Um, <laughs> in any event, the, um, the you put it in your mouth and you're supposed to rub it around in your mouth for up to four minutes. Four minutes so the yeah. expectation in the videos is that individuals are doing this to themselves. That it's like, okay, here you are. Here's the thing. Just rub rub it around in your mouth, mouth until yeah. it turns blue. That can't go bad at all. No, I know. Don't, you know, somebody who's hop, hopped up on drugs or angry or whatever that you make this demand to. Here, just give them this thing. Um, and uh, let them rub it around in their mouth for four minutes. And it, what happens if you rub it around in your mouth for four minutes and you don't get enough saliva? What are no, they going to do? Say, You're be charged with so it? they say there's a little blue indicator inside the plastic part above the tamp or yeah, below yeah. the tampon. Yeah, yeah. And after a minute, so you get them to rub it around for a minute and then take it out. And if it's not blue, keep rubbing it around until four minutes, but stop after four minutes because after four minutes, there'll be enough saliva. But I don't, I don't, I don't see that because but rub it around for a minute. Like think about it, a 60 minute, sixty whole seconds. We yeah. could sit here in silence for a minute to like really make a point. Yeah, we're not going to do that. No. The uh, point is that it's a long time, and so that's one aspect of it. So after that, 
I was worried about contamination, but looking at their video, I, I don't think there's a great risk of contamination from the officer from something on their hands or something like that. But you hand the cassette to the officer after your minute or four minutes, and they stuff it into the front of the machine, and then they press go. Oh, they got to put a cartridge on top. Yeah. Because it slams it shut after. Yeah, and, uh, and then it's a three-button machine. How easy can it be? Well, the Alka-Sensor FST is two buttons. Yeah. So yeah. And, and the police managed. never screw that one up. Yeah. No, never. The um, the uh, and then the analysis starts, and it says on their website and all their material after a few minutes. What is a few minutes? It's if you read closely, five to ten. Five to ten minutes. So it takes time to set this baby up. And then you've got the uh, minute to four minutes of rubbing around in your mouth, and then you've got maybe ten minutes while it's conducting an analysis, and then you've got four police officers standing around trying to figure out what the hell does it mean. And let's not forget that there are certain pretest things that have to be observed. The manufacturer recommends no eating or drinking or smoking anything. So no cheeseburger, no pizza in your car, no sip of that pop, no water, nothing for ten whole minutes. Yeah. prior to conducting the test. So first of all, officers are going to have to try and get accurate information from drivers about when was the last time anything was in their mouth. Good luck. Yeah. don't You, you, you just simply cannot expect t- people to be telling you the truth when they are, are being subjected to this. When did you last eat? Well, I don't know. Like, Do you mean like the last time I had a meal or do you mean the sunflower seeds that I snack on in my car or the candy that I'm constantly sucking? Like what, what, what is eating? Yeah, I know. Um, so there's going to be a problem with that. And obviously like they're not going to do observation periods at the roadside because this is a screener. This is already, uh, intrusive test conducted at the roadside. And none of this is really the way it was described to parliament. You presented to parliament, you presented to the Senate about it. You laid it all out, but they did not tell us that it was going to be a half an hour, basically, at the roadside yeah. while you're detained while four, they're doing this thing or whatever. Four minutes for your swab and 10 minutes for your analysis and 10 minutes deprivation period makes 24 minutes. Plus four minutes uh, added in for observation, instruction, and demand. That's forthwith. And police officer coming to a uh, suspicion you and know then the making the demand. One of the Supreme Court of Canada cases on forthwith is grand, which is a waiting period of 30 minutes. Yeah. And that was found to be a constitutional violation. And yeah, so you're all held there at the roadside and they're doing this and making you stick this damn thing in your mouth. You don't get to know that you have a right to talk to a lawyer and you don't have a right to talk to a lawyer nope. under those circumstances. It's suspended. They don't tell you necessarily even why you're being detained, although I, there's a bit of a presumption that you're going to figure it out when they're oh, jamming no, this tampon they, they in your read mouth. It, they read it in the demand. I have reasonable grounds to suspect that you have a drug in your body and have within the preceding three hours operated or had care and control of a motor vehicle. Those words mean a lot of things to people. Yeah, I know. You're standing there at the roadside and you're being detained by the police. You're scared shitless because you probably just smoked a joint. Yeah, well, of course. Um, (laughs) In any event, uh, uh, that's a different issue. But uh, yeah, so this is the device. It's the the Drager Drug Test 5000 is the one that's going to be the approved screener. Now let's talk about what it's going to cost. Interestingly, I found an article that the police in Dublin spent 440,000 euros buying theirs and in four months, they caught 12 people. So that's a lot of money for 12 people. And, you know, was oh, that just... <laughs> there's going to be more than 12 people in Canada, though. Oh, of course. I mean, and we're not talking about legalized 
marijuana there. Uh, you know, once we have cannabis as legalized there, I expect there will be more people driving with THC in their body. But that's not the point. The point is the expectation versus reality and balancing that against the cost. I mean, it's going to be expensive to have these. Uh, an AlcoSensor FST, the uh, roadside breath uh, screener we have, a proof screening device that we use in British Columbia and Alberta and probably other places by now. I know they were coming to Quebec and a province near you if you're uh, somewhere else. These devices are uh, list price at about 600 bucks. And I know the police, by the time they were getting them here, were about $1,500. So that was with the different software. And of course, it's being sold by the distributor in Canada, DavTech, and they mark it up. So Spe Special software and all the accessories, because they're going to have to have for these devices, they're going to have to have the printed results, because it displays all of the seven different things and the numerical values, although will it be pass or fail here, we don't know um, yet. Um, it displays all of them on the tester, and they're going to have to have a printing strip so that they can verify that, because y'all know that the officer is not going to write that down accurately. There's, there's two or three different editions they have, and they'll probably get the undercoating. Uh, and uh, the extended <laughs> warranty um, that, uh, you know, they only the have to pay extra contract. for. The service contract. Yeah. Yep. No, actually, that's funny. They do. They get the service contract. So well, I know they do because the they have to <laughs> send them in for servicing because they're going to drop them. Yeah, I suppose they will. Some of them will be rough with them. And even if they're not rough with them, if you've got them in the trunk of your cruiser and you suddenly are, you know, driving over a bumpy road because you're going after a suspect who decided to run, you know, go down an alley or whatever, um, there's some rough roads in, in Canada. Uh, they're going to have a problem. Now let's talk about temperature. Temperature. Yes. So the ones that they pilot tested, one of the big criticisms that lots of people, including myself had about them was that they were really sensitive to temperature. They were only able to be operated in 15 to 25 degrees Celsius ranges. The Drager drug test 5,000 has a broader temperature range, five to 40 degrees, which is Still shitty. Yeah, well, I mean, it's shitty because these things will be in the trunk of cruisers. There's no doubt about that. And so they will be cold. And are you going to wait for it to warm up? Is it Does it have to heat up every internal component or just the thermometer that's in there? What needs to be warmed up to be able to use it? This is Canada, okay? Maybe Drager or maybe the Canadian government's counting on global warming. Maybe that's <laughs> why they're backing off on the strict requirements for the carbon taxes because they are counting on the temperature rising so they can use these. You uh, sound as cynical as me. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I, you know, I'm often more cynical than you or as cynical as you. I just hold it back. That's a, I feel a requirement as a senior member of the bar that I'm not supposed to be as cynical, but I mean, right. come on, this is kind of funny. All of this is kind of funny because it was not presented to Parliament or nope. the uh, or the Senate this way. The the Senate was uh, understandably cynical about uh, this legislation, and now we see the one device that they've got is the one device that everybody else was using. So there's no some fancy miracle device out there. Oh, that but you know, Drager did submit uh, a package a brief to the House of Commons Justice Committee and the Senate Standing Committee on Constitutional and Legal Affairs about how great their instrument is. No, I, I'm not knocking their instrument. I think it's probably precise and probably smartly designed. Oh, it's probably really great if you use it in a controlled environment where it's set up on a table in a temperature controlled room with a cooperative subject for the purposes of, of the scientific analysis. But that's not what you're getting at the roadside. Well, I also want to tell you that I own a Drager 7410 
approved screening device. You have one too. We each have one. Kyla and I, we've, maybe we've joked about this before, but I've been joking about it a, a lot in the last week. We have together the largest private collection of breath testing equipment anywhere in Canada, we believe. Um, and uh, probably... We challenge anyone. And we to challenge show anyone to show them. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. And we also have parts. We could assemble some yes. the, uh, devices out of other parts that we've managed to collect strangely. Um, I like to take them apart and uh, look at what's inside and see if there's a, uh, a hamster pulling levers. But in any event, um, we have two Draeger breath testing uh, approved screening devices. And uh, I've blown into one in Germany. I was pulled over in Germany and had to blow into it. And I had some fairly, you know, arrogant police officers, as they typically are, and uh, asked me to blow, and I went to blow, and I could feel air coming back up at my face, and I realized the mouthpiece hadn't seated properly. And so i not being able to explain this in German because, you know, nervous at the roadside with police officers and my German not being comfortable I've enough been to... been fucked up completely. Yeah, <laughs> more or less. No, I had nothing to drink, but the uh, I was no, worried... I was I worried about... what been Ein means. Uh, I am oh. something. I am... Uh, um, the, um, yeah, you wouldn't want to say that then. The pronunciation was not very good. Anyway, the, uh, you sounded like Kennedy. Ich bin ein Berliner. That, the, that, that means, the point. that means I am a, basically a donut. Um, it's a, a type of pastry, a Berliner. Anyway, the, um, so the air was coming back up in my face and I was worried I was going to get a refusal. And so I took the device from the police officer. I like put my hand on it and pushed the mouthpiece on properly and they were not pleased. But I said, you know, yes. Can, can das ich machen? Like, I could do that now. And so I did it again, and I provided a sample. I had no alcohol in my body. But the uh, the interesting thing was, you know, super confident about their device, uh, super confident that it was going to be working, and there was malfunctioning, and some, you know... On, I don't know if you saw this. Weirdo Canadian lawyer comes along, <laughs> you know, fixes it. I don't know if you saw this, but on Drager's website, they have a video. It's like an interview, promotional interview with some chief of police from the U.S. where he's going that. on about this is a game changer and we're so, you know, we got the Drager Alcotest 7410 and it's amazing that like just a puff of air from a person and it's capturing samples and I'm just like, oh my God, what did they pay this guy? Yeah, it's uh, that is always just so amazing that you can get police officers to say those things. Shocking. And, and come on, like... Seriously? You're going to speak that way and put your credibility on the line, I guess, you know? I, I don't would, know. I would love to be the defense lawyer in his <clears throat> jurisdiction who gets to cross-examine him. You know, there's an interesting thing because these instruments historically, I mean, yes, we have the alcohol test committee and that, but uh, I've, I've heard from people who were around, you know, longer in this process and they've said, yeah, you know, there's... Uh, uh, conferences where people are marketing their things and there's police technology conferences and they come home with brochures and then that device ends up being approved and that's how they end up with half their laser and radar Did, devices. Didn't I ever tell you I accidentally went to one of those? Yeah, where was that? I was, it was a long time ago back when I was a model and I had a hair show in like a giant convention center and I went into the wrong convention room where they were doing the policing technology convention. And it was like very early when I was still modeling and lawyering at the same time. You are the and I sort student. of snuck around like, oh, I'm lost, but I'm going to look at these things here and gather some mental information. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't have approved 
devices for speed testing. The police can buy basically whatever one they think, and so long as they're using it in accordance with the manufacturer's recommendations and the training, like the RCMP manual, if it's RCMP, for example, uh, they can buy whatever ones. And if you talk to police officers, if you can find the honest old guy around, you'll they'll often tell you, yeah, well, we got like seven broken ones in the back. And you're like, geez, how do you know that this isn't one of the broken ones that w- you were using that day? But really, I mean, it's a matter of the manufacturer coming along and making the sale. And yeah. uh, Drager made the sale. Woohoo. Well, good for Drager. Yeah. Um, and good for us because it looks like, at least to give me some hope, there's going to be lots of angles to attack this from both like the constitutionality of it and the legal perspective, as well as even if it's upheld as being constitutionally valid despite the lengthy delays, we're going to have lots of procedural issues for trials. Well, I have had a handful, not a lot, and you've had a few um, impaired by drugs over the years, and including ones where there was a blood test. And we've never had one that ended up where we, where we didn't succeed. And, you know, basically with the information we've got now after we came back from Texas, the information we've got about these instruments and sort of where we are, I just don't see us having a problem defeating this because, remember, this is just a screener. After the screener, the police officer's got to have reasonable and probable grounds to make a demand for a drug recognition evaluation, and then that's got to be conducted properly. And then when that's done, the police officer's got to come to the right opinion, and then they've got to collect the blood or urine. Blood or urine. Good luck with um, that. And then it's got to be right. And, you know, I just don't see it. You know, there will always be the guy who's got the syringe hanging out of his arm. That'll be the harder cases. I want but even that. In, yeah, I know you did. <laughs> um, the... Uh, but I was just thinking, yeah, well, you're the one who wins all those hard cases. Um, the uh, I run them. Well, I know, and you 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 fight like a bastard. But um, the <laughs> the point is that uh, I I just don't see this as uh, I don't see any of this leading to convictions. I see it screeners taking people off the road for 24 hours, and I don't see much more than that happening. So I'm not panicked about it. But you know, for us as driving lawyers, I have to tell you, this is. Uh, fascinating, exciting, and interesting news. I was on the Linda Steele show yesterday talking about it just because it was right out of the gate. I know they phoned you first, Kyla, and I bogarted your interview. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's okay. It's fine. I invited you on the podcast anyway. I think I did a good job. I thought I explained it fairly well. I, you know, maybe, I, I think for the technology things, I might be the guy to be able to explain it because I've done it you know, I've taken all these other instruments apart, and I was so interested in the technology, and yeah, I, mean, I never your, understood your why. Your scienciness is is better than mine, as far as like the electrical and mechanical. Yeah, side yeah, of but things. you're you're better for the procedural and chemical aspect, which is is good. We make a good maybe we make a good team, Kyla. God, we should like go work into, at a law yeah, firm together. Yeah, we could have like a practice where it's like you and me, and we're like this team of lawyers who fight these things and we buy all these instruments and we take them apart and we figure out problems with them and well you're really onto something oh man we could call it acumen because of all of our acumen yeah our our our, our scientific acumen and legal acumen <laughs> wow good idea um wow that was the like most embarrassingly sorry. stupid plug ever i'm sorry no the uh the, i mean there was a long time ago that you know i decided i wanted to know all of the stuff that i could know everything i could know to be the best impaired driving lawyer i could be and um, what is it, you know that, it was like malcolm gladwell ten thousand hours thing yeah but i'm at like forty five thousand hours now probably yeah. more yeah anyway i mean i probably spent ten thousand hours of looking at asd records which is awful 
anyway, so this is exciting news. We're looking forward to it, and um, you know, we're going to continue to investigate this device, and it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Kyla may not remember that last year, when before long before you were speaking at the Senate or anything like about probably about. 14 months ago, I said, you watch, it's going to be Drager or somebody like that who ends up uh, producing the device. I don't remember this, and I'm chalking it up to my uh, belief that you claim to have predicted things after they've happened, and then rely on people's faulty memories as uh, the basis for you getting away with that. Well, I, I also said that they would come up with a... Um, I mean, my prediction was that they were going to come up with a device that could tell concentration, too. I said, if somebody's going to come along with a device, it's going to be somebody who's got all of that skill. It's not going to be... My, my point was, I think, actually, it was these people who were trying to develop something at Simon Fraser and these other ones who had these startups. Oh, to, the and I, and the Yeah, and, I, and that's when I pointed out, I said, if anybody's going to do it, it's going to be Drager. These people know, you know... Well, and also, the technology was already there and being used elsewhere. I mean, ra racing to the bottom is what all of the rest of them were doing. You're going away from my point, and my yes. point was that I made the prediction. Okay. You made the prediction. I'm predicting that the next announcement, Paul will say he predicted it. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Maybe I did. I don't know. I'm, sometimes I'm smarter <laughs> than I look. Watch it be something that is actually a record of you predicting. Sometimes I'm smarter than I look, or our best testing can predict. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. But moving on from that, since uh, since now we can't talk about animals and cars because we have a podcast to fill, I wanted to talk about something else really interesting that happened in the last week, and that was a judgment from the BC Provincial Court Traffic Division about cell phones. A bit of a game changer. Yeah, it is. And uh, we'll see where it goes in the end. I was called... Um who, who contacted me? I spoke about this on... Uh, CBC? No, CBC? Global? Oh, CBC first and then Global, yeah. yeah. the uh, I'm, I'm surprised that I, I got that one. It was So it was uh, Judicial Justice Gordon uh, on uh, in Victoria. I think he was sitting at Callwood. He was For in those Callwood. of you who don't know, Judicial Justice Gordon, of all the traffic court JJPs, is probably the most prolific decision writer. I think he has the most written decisions under his robes. Belt. Yeah, I, I mean, he sits down and <laughs> thinks about it, right? And yeah. lots of times you could give a very quick decision and sort of accept it, uh, you know, find a reasonable doubt or whatever and, and have it, you know, the people leave your courtroom. But yeah. he... and then either the police bitch in the hallway or the people bitch in the he hallway. He likes to think about it. Um, and he's an interesting guy. He sits everywhere up, up and down the island. Um, so when we have traffic court in BC, we have judicial justices, justices of the peace. Uh, and so we call them your worship. It's, uh, they're not judges, but... Uh, They've got the little green stripes on their robes instead of red. Yeah, and it's they're running their courtroom. Uh, lots of times they're calling the list uh, on the island. More often than not, there's a police officer who calls the list, and they're a little bit more organized that way. But uh, it it um, it's his courtroom, and uh, he's... I'm, actually, I'll be there tomorrow. Um, the... <laughs> You're listening to this Friday, but it's not Friday that we're recording because this was our emergency, uh, emergency one. Emergency work, work. podcast. Uh, exactly. Um, but yes, he's a, he's a lovely man and he uh, acquitted somebody who had a cell phone with a app to deactivate it when they were driving it. Uh, and the only other evidence was that he had moved it uh, in his to car. look at some papers that were under the phone. Yeah. Um, and he was observed by a police officer. I know the officer. They are both... Um, uh, Ursu officers, one who was from, uh, seconded from Victoria is the one who first observed him and then a corporal with uh, the integrated road safety unit who uh, ultimately stopped him and they both testified 
in that case, and so did this fellow. He testified about his, you know, phone that doesn't work in these circumstances. Um, and ultimately, uh, uh, Judicial Justice Gordon, JJP Gordon, uh, accepted that, um, accepted that uh, evidence and came to the conclusion that that was not use. Yeah. Which, and acquitted him. I mean, I, I think you and I differ significantly on our view of the, the decision. Do we? I don't know. Well, you've said one thing and then you've said another. And I, I, I mean, I like <clears> it. <throat> I like that it opens up the door for some defenses in traffic court. And I like the angle that he took in the judgment about there being this, you know, due diligence defense. The guy was trying to comply uh, with the law. That, you know, opens up the door for other le types of legal defenses in cell phone cases. But I do think that there's a flaw. And I don't know if the Crown is considering an appeal, although it seems to me that cell phone cases are the ones that are going up more often than not. Um, and the flaw is that the regulations for an electronic de device, so in the Motor Vehicle Act, there's there's electronic device like a cell phone. It's the prohibition in the Motor GPS. Vehicle Act, and there's some definitions there, and yep. then the others refer to the regulations, which the yep. government can change willy-nilly. A device prescribed by regulation, and if you go to the prescribed devices under regulation, it doesn't require the device to be a cell phone. I a portable handheld audio player is an electronic device, and if you're if you're using an iPhone, I have my walk. I have my iPod. Walkman. I have my Walkman. Electronic my cassette device. Walkman. Yeah. Yeah. You can't use it no. unless it's connected to your vehicle and played solely through the speakers of your vehicle. Um, you can't use a device. Uh, the main purpose of which is to process or compute data. No calculators. No calculators. But again, a phone, even when disabled in like a I'm driving mode, would fall within either of those definitions. I think the point there was that um, recognizing the wrong that was like the safety issue uh, and then saying this is not fulfilling the goal of that legislation. I don't that's know. That's not what that the that decision said. What's that? That's not what the decision said. No, but I think that's sort of recognition of it. Um, and... I, I suspect it's going to be appealed uh, because I don't think that it meets the, I, I think it falls short of what is necessary there to provide a defense on the use issue. Um, but I'm, I'm sympathetic with the decision because, you know, so normally, okay, if you commit mischief, um, there's all sorts of different types of mischief. You can go spin donuts on your on your uh, ex's uh, lawn and do fifty thousand dollars worth of damage. That happens fairly often. I was uh, say, speaking you know, for personal experience, or you <laughs> could you could stick a sticker on a stop sign that says makes it instead of being stop a stop Harper. sign, it says stop Harper. Yeah, and uh, you know that would be taken into account in sentencing. Um, whereas with our our no electronic device legislation in BC. There's also almost no... Well, uh, the fine. The fine amount can change. The fine amount can change, but we all also know the repercussions of the demerits, and the yeah. demerits lead to all sorts of other consequences, and there's limits to how much they can change even the fine amount lawfully, although I've seen some JJPs give fine amounts that were probably not lawful. Uh, but in any event, they, you know, they don't have the, discre the discretion, is my point. And um, so it seems to come out here as almost an exercise of discretion that this use was so minor that I'm not going to convict this guy with this use so minor. And I kind of like that. Um, 
and I kind of like it particularly because of this legislation. See, I just see that as being that classic thing that that courts are criticized for, where their hearts and heads are in the right place, but the law says leave the legislation nope. to the legislature. And that's why I think it's going to be I think it's going to be um, something that's going to be appealed. And I think if it is appealed, there's a fairly significant chance it's going to be overturned on appeal. And which is it, a damn shame. It's almost a cry for help from the uh, JJPs because they they've got to be looking at it and seeing lots of circumstances that are like that that must be frustrating as hell to say to yourself, oh, fuck, I got to convict this person for this in this circumstance. Like, and there's not enough um, yet, enough direction from upper levels of court. So it's almost an invitation to take you to an upper level of court. But you don't know sort of the liability level um, and therefore the mens rea component. There's contradictory decisions on that issue. Yeah. This being yet another one of them. Yeah. Um, and we don't know as well uh, with this why why doesn't the government just legislate it differently like i don't i don't understand if if even now the courts are sort of implicitly crying out and saying this is stupid you've got these varying degrees of fault but an absurd penalty and trying to carve out defenses that maybe aren't consonant with all of the legislation and regulations that are in place why are we not creating different tiers of cell phone offense like actual use versus you know holding or touching or use when moving that's what they originally contemplated it used to be texting or emailing while driving was points and using a phone without the texting or the emailing while driving was not and now they're this, both offenses still exist and they have the same consequences. Why the distinction is still there is beyond me. Sure irritates the shit out of me, though, when I look over and I see somebody texting <laughs> beside me as they're driving. It only it's irritates so damn me dangerous. when they're doing it and they are, like, late to start at a green light or something like that. No, it irritates me when I see them moving. Me. I see people moving, like the guy's moving and he's, you know got his phone held out there it just drives me insane drives me insane because that's dangerous i mean it's lo usually low speeds but it is dangerous just that sure. distraction even like i've got a in my truck i've got a screen there um you have one in your car too to control your heated seats and your and your uh, temperature and everything in your car kyle has a yeah. nice car um i have a modern <clears throat> car because all modern cars come equipped with those now. sure that's unusual for me my other truck has a cassette deck in it. But in any event, yes. that screen is a distraction. There's no doubt about it. When I look at it, you know, I'm lost for a second. I look back at the road and I realize, you know, this, I had my eyes off the road longer than I would have thought. Did you know I discovered this recently? The screen in my car can play DVDs, but watching a television screen while you're wow. driving, even if it's mounted into your car, is still a violation of the electronic device regulation. And so if it is a television screen, but it's the car's controlling computer, it may theoretically violate the law. If you use it. It's an arguable case, yeah, but how many times do you tap it while you're driving? I'm tapping to turn on the seat warmers because it's freezing cold in the middle of July for some godforsaken reason. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm tapping to turn the air conditioning on because my passengers are bitching that it's too cold or too hot in my car, you know. Yeah, no. Anyway, the, 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 I find the screen distracting. But the um, back to the decision. Um, it's an interesting decision. Uh, he's rendered some of the more interesting decisions, and uh, he's... Uh, uh, I rely on a bunch of them all the time. Yeah, no doubt. The um, the police officers there, uh, you know, they've been in front of him uh, many, many, many times, and some days it's a good day, and some days it's a bad day. 
it's a bad day if I'm cross-examining them. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, I guess that's a decision that they probably were not, uh, not uh, pleased with. And uh, we'll see how many other people try and advance that argument now. Well, but he was pretty careful there from preventing everybody from just hopping on the stand and going, no, I had a disabling app on. He said, you know, you're not great. It's going to be very difficult to succeed in this argument in the future without some type of corroborative evidence. Yeah. And I think evidence from the time, and that makes it very difficult. And a lot of people are going to come along and and uh, he's a JP, I think, who can suss people out pretty well. So mm-hmm. don't expect to be believed if you're full of shit and you're going to run that decision. These uh, The JPs have seen everything in traffic court, I'll tell you. Now, I want to talk about another interesting traffic court decision. It's actually quite old, but while we're on the subject of cell phone decisions that give a defense, there's a decision out there from uh, Judicial Justice Adair that is involving an end driver who was using their phone or alleged to have been using their phone. And this person had the phone just sitting loose in the cup holder. And this is a question that you and I get asked all the time. Well, how can they give me a ticket? (laughs) Daily. How can they give me a ticket? It's in the cup holder. And Adair says in that judgment, they can't. Because the legislation contemplates that you are, despite the prohibition on using it completely for end drivers and, and, you know, using it loose in the car for everybody else. The legislation contemplates that you are permitted to use the phone if it's an emergency. And so having it handy in the event of an emergency doesn't violate the law so long as you don't do anything with it that would constitute use except in an emergent situation. Well, the cup holder is also a holder. And it's holding it. It's not pinned down. But the regulations say securely mounted to the vehicle. I think a cup holder in some circumstances would be securely mounted to the vehicle. I mean, there's a little slot in my car that I can put my phone and it's, it's, you know, higher than three quarters high of my phone. And so if I slammed on the brakes, it wouldn't go flying. I've had rental cars that had a, like a little slot on the dash that you could just drop your phone into that slot on the dash and it's securely mounted. I use, uh, in my car, I've got a, uh, like a, a carpenter's clamp. But a, one of those plastic spring ones, it's kind of like a, uh, actually there's some right up there holding some of the soundproofing in uh, in here. Um, <clears throat> but I, I clip it against the little f- flap over my coffee cup holder and it's securely mounted. I'm fine. Um, but yeah, I've been thinking about that because I've been thinking about that decision because you're allowed to use your phone in an emergency. Yep. Uh, An emergency is another one of those things in the law that's completely Mm. undefined. There's no definition anywhere in the regulations or the act of what an emergency is. Is it only when you're calling the police? Is it if your, your daughter's sick and you need to pick her up from school? If I have a client who's in custody and needs legal advice, can I pick up my phone and use it? Because to me, that's an emergency. I call that a legal emergency. Subjective emergency versus objective emergency. You've got to establish well, that I've, it's Well, I'm pretty sure that my client in custody needing legal advice example is pretty objectively emergent. Um, well, you know, there's time pressures and all sorts of other things there, and there's do an investigation ad- taking place. Are you allowed to delay the, the investigation? Of, of exigent circumstances? I don't know. Um, but the having it there for an emergency, I think, is... Uh, is important and that's a that's an angle on it um having it sitting loose on your seat however you're going to have a problem with that i think if you've got it in the cup holder you're a lot better off and the uh again this is for class 7n drivers they're not allowed to use their phone period Mm -hmm. except in an emergency 
So they can't use a speaker function on it. They can't use Siri or anything like that. There's no electronic no, devices no, for them. No GPS. Yeah. Nothing. Usually the wisest thing if you're... No GPS because we still need to let millennials learn how to read maps. I used to drive around. I think I said this recently. I used to drive around with a big map on my... Because uh, I, I worked for the Auto Trader and I drove around all day taking photographs of cars. And so I would plot my whole day out with, uh, with little pink message slips and a map. And I'd have that map on my lap and up and I'd use paper clips to hold it all together. And I'd be shifting and driving and taking notes at the same time. This was long pre-cell phone. Uh, I managed to do it. The other day I was trying to, I had a case where the issue was going to be the identification of a road. They'd listed the location of, of the offense as number 11 road in Richmond, which isn't a road. No such road. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, God, there's got to be like a list somewhere of like, all the names of all the streets and roads in a city. And then I remembered you used to be able to get like a roadmap that had that. And do, they don't have the equivalent of that online. Like you just type it into Google and Google's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, there's, uh, you know, the, the maps that I used to buy, I've, you know, they used to drive around with vans and deliver them to the 7-Elevens and places like that. And I used to buy a new map every two, three weeks, buck 25 or whatever it was, because my map would get so worn out. Um, and I wasn't photocopying them. This was a long time. We're talking 30 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I, you can probably still buy those maps, and we could have just photocopied one of those maps and faxed it in in that case. Now that you tell me that, I sure hope you established that successfully. I typed it into Google Maps and then showed that Google Maps showed no responses yeah, yeah. for it. Optimistic about the expansion of Richmond. It's going to get bigger and bigger, and eventually there'll be an 11th road. Yes, um, it's the way the roads in Richmond are strangely named. Number three road, number two road, number six road. And then Canby. Yeah. And you're like, wait, but Canby's in Vancouver. Anyway, mm. this is why I don't drive in Richmond except to go to court and the office. And to record the podcast, which usually we record in Richmond, not which always. Which all happen to be the buildings next to each other, so it makes it very convenient. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right, so... Thank you for tuning in to our emergency podcast. Hope you enjoyed the emergency. Um, you know, it's an emergency for us. Enough of an emergency that I would use my cell phone nope. while driving? Probably not. Probably not. So uh, we thank uh, Kyla's dog, Wrigley, for only barking at the end of the podcast. Thank you, Wrigley. You're a good dog. And uh, tune in next week, hopefully next week, barring any unforeseen circumstances, we will have our dogs and driving spectacular. Um, and if you want to reach us to talk about cell phone laws or saliva testing or anything else that concerns you and driving and the law, you can find us at vancouvercriminallaw.com or give us a call 604-685-8889. 